You're listening to the UI podcast by the Swedish Institute of International Affairs. Welcome to the UI podcast. This episode is about the relationship between Iran, China and India and the dynamics of the growing countries in Asia and their effects on the Middle East. As you may have seen in the news, Iran's position vis-à-vis the United States is also affecting countries like China and their trade. This seminar is one of several which the Middle East and North Africa program is organizing together with the Asia program to discuss the relations between these countries in Asia and the Middle East. In this first of several seminars that we are going to podcast, we will discuss the relationship both in terms of energy security and other kinds of relations, but also, of course, the financial impact of how trade is growing between these countries and how it will affect the rest of the world. For this particular episode, we have three guests. Dr. Mina Singh Roy, who is a research fellow and heads the West Asia Center at the Institute for Defense Studies and Analysis in New Delhi, who will help us understand the Indian perspectives on the relationship with Iran and the United States. Dr. Bijan Khajapur, who is a managing partner at the Vienna-based Eurasian Nexus Partners, and who has decades-long experience of business and business management in Iran and is very knowledgeable on the trade relations with both China and Europe. And finally, uh, Mr. Jacopo Shitta, who is a doctoral student at the School of Government and International Affairs at Durham University uh, and who specializes in the relationship between China and Iran, especially during the nuclear agreement negotiations a couple of years ago. Due to a technical error, unfortunately, the first couple of minutes of Bijan Khajapur's presentation were not recorded. It will go through some painful uh, years of, as I said, stagnation, of high inflation, but then different um, economic activities uh, will substitute for the loss of income, for example, in, in oil and gas exports and, and, and probably now in petrochemical exports. Uh, to show you that it's not that difficult to, to adapt, uh, the loss of oil income under the, current, uh, under the current sanctions, the loss of oil income is annually about $20 billion. So Iran is losing out about $20 billion in hard revenue, hard currency revenue from oil exports. That $20 billion can easily be made up through increased efficiency in agriculture, in the energy sector, in the manufacturing sector, and partly through tourism, which is actually a phenomenon on the rise. And for those of you who who know economic uh, relations, tourism is also a sort of export. Iran is a easy, uh, it's an easy uh, task to develop tourism in Iran by adjusting some of the uh, the policies. So I think Iran can easily make up, and even the World Bank suggests that within a couple of years, Iran will return to an economic growth scenario, as I said, by shifting uh, some, of the, some of the economic realities. I can go into more detail if, if you are interested in the, in the discussions. Where do China and India stand in this? This is important. China and India, first of all, have been throughout the past decade the top two buyers of Iranian oil throughout sanctions or without sanctions. This is important to understand. Even when there were heavy sanctions, China and India were the top two importers of Iranian oil. 
and increasingly in recent years also Iranian petrochemicals, even though in petrochemicals and, and condensate, um, China is much stronger than, uh, than India. But some of the um, Chinese and Indian refineries are actually set on using Iranian oil, the quality, the grade of Iranian oil, and that obviously creates a much, much deeper relationship between the two. In terms of Iranian exports, uh, in the past, uh, the last full statistical year that we have, 2017, um, China was 41% or had a share, a 41% share of Iranian exports. India had an 11% share of Iranian exports. So again, you see important. And in terms of imports, China 20%, India about 5%, but none of these two figures are accurate because a lot of goods are actually going through to Iran indirectly through third countries, especially through Dubai. It's always interesting to see the UAE as one of the top trading partners of Iran, even though the UAE actually doesn't produce much to export to Iran. So it's always a hub, including Chinese and Indian goods that go through Dubai to Iran. So the, the volumes of Iranian imports from China and India is much higher than, than the figures that we see. Obviously, as a result of the U.S. sanctions, both these positions, exports and also imports, um, have been hit hard, <clears throat> especially since the 2nd of May, uh, uh, three weeks ago, when the U.S. stopped the so-called waivers on Iranian oil exports to eight countries, including China and India. Since then, uh, India has not purchased any oil from Iran. Uh, uh, and we don't know, maybe we hear from MENA what, what the outlook is. But China, after not importing for a few days, restarted importing Iranian oil last week, which was a very welcome sign. Uh, it was a, 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 a sort of relief for Iran because China started lifting oil from, uh, from Iran again. And the big question is how far um, will this go? Will China, for example, um, give up on these imports if the U.S.-China trade talks go well, or will it intensify if they don't go well? So these are all the geopolitical uh, connections that you can find uh, in terms of Iran's relations with these countries. Also in India, there is an India-U.S. angle, there is an India-Iran angle, uh, and, and everyone is watching all of these different aspects. Um, I'm sure Mina will talk about it, but in the case of India, there is one very specific um, element we need to consider. That's the free port of Chabahar, free, free zo trade zone of Chabahar, a port in the southeastern part of Iran, a port that India has been developing to export goods to Central Asia. It, it, it basically improves the efficiency of Indian ability to transit goods to Central Asia. And this is obviously one of the big elements in the relationship because if Indian refiners stop importing Iranian oil, I would be very surprised if Iran just continues to grant that, that access, the Chabahar access to, to India. So there, again, here there is a need to find a, 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 a balance between interests. Now, the main issue is what does Iran expect from these two Asian powers and um, what, what uh, uh, sort of what would be the dynamics of the next few months, maybe next couple of years. First of all, Iran's 
uh, reaction to the current situation with external sanctions and with the disappointment in Europe, because Iran's first hope after the US withdrawal from the uh, nuclear deal was that the Europeans will compensate and they, they will come forward and they will help Iran, as they call it, to secure the economic dividend that Iran was hoping from the nuclear deal. Europe has disappointed Iran so far. So the, 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 the sort of phase two of the Iranian reaction is to, to concentrate on immediate neighbors. We have a couple of immediate neighbors who are significant trading partners or technology partners in Iran. That's Russia and Iran, uh, Russia and Turkey. And a third neighbor that is extremely significant in terms of exports out of Iran, that's Iraq. Iraq is, in fact, the largest uh, market for non-crude oil exports out of Iran uh, and, and still growing. So there is, there is a lot of potential in the immediate neighborhood. But beyond the neighbors, including Russia, the two other key stakeholders are China and India as trading partners, as technology partners, and so on. What does Iran expect? It's very simple. Iran's uh, strategy in the next decade is to become the top economic and technological player of our region. It has been stated for uh, years now, and, it, and this is the ambition. Uh, and for that, Iran needs foreign investment. Iran needs uh, export markets, because obviously part of the technological and economic growth pattern is being able to export. And Iran needs technology. Uh, even though Iranian technocrats have historically always focused on Western technology as the main source, but the realization is Chinese and Indian companies are also act, uh, active internationally, and they can be also a good source of technology. So there is more and more attention to the potential for technological cooperation, the potential for economic cooperation. But I want to just end by saying this. The top, top priority for Iran is employment, job creation. We have currently a, an unemployment rate of 12.8% in Iran, and more critically, a youth unemployment of about 26%. This is what's putting a lot of pressure, socioeconomic pressure on the Iranian government. And job creation will be the key issue. That's why, for example, projects like Chabahar, they are on the one side uh, some uh, 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 bargaining chip in negotiations with India. But on the other side, the transit of goods through Iran creates jobs, leads to investments, the development of the Chabahar port, or some of the Chinese investments in infrastructure in Iran, they are creating jobs and so on. So the key element will be job creation economic growth and technological cooperation. And um, I, my personal feeling is that uh, this is obviously a phase with harsh US sanctions and, as I said, disappointment in Europe. But in this phase, Iran's relations, both trade but also technological relations with China and India will be consolidated. And I wouldn't be surprised if Iran doesn't turn back to the West again, uh, even if the sanctions are lifted. Thank you. Thank you very much. Just to clarify, turn back means in this sense, turn your back to Europe or turn return to Europe? Return. Sorry, return. Just want to make clear. I have some questions for you, but I'll, um, let's go through.
good morning to all of you and let me at the outset thank the institute uh, and you uh, especially for bringing me for the first time to this Scandinavian country. And let me also acknowledge that the doyen of strategic studies back home, Mr. K. Subramaniam, uh, was a very frequent uh, visitor to uh, this country and this institute. So as an institute, I'm very happy to reconnect. And uh, let me come back since the you know, time is limited. And there is so much you can talk about this region. Uh, what we call back home West Asia. Uh, and uh, especially, you know, for a, for a researcher like me, this is the region which is full of strategic surprises and also uh, strategic mistakes. And these are two things which have a serious implications for a country like India. Uh, why I'm saying this is because, you know, if we are looking at India-Iran relations, there are three dimensions to it. First, you know, you need to look at India's relations with Iran uh, in the context of how its relationship with the other countries are evolving as well. Uh, the second is a very strong historical connect, uh, civilizational connect. And the third is the energy and, uh, you know, uh, connect that we're talking about. And finally, you know, Iran is important for India as a gateway to uh, Central Asia. Uh, so coming to, uh, you know, especially West Asia, uh, if we look at the, the traditional uh, relationship, say, 15, 20 years back, you know, uh, India was not part of the Western uh, world, in a sense, the uh, pre-Cold the Cold War period, and then the post-Cold War, you know, things have changed drastically for India. Uh, we cannot ignore the, the dimension of the people living in West Asia, and especially the Gulf, 8 million plus people are there. So the other dimension for India has been the balancing act, which has been an opportunity and challenge both. Uh, you have the region which is geographically very close to India, providing its energy, you know, uh, because almost... Uh, you know, 72, more than 72%, 80, around 80% of the energy uh, is what India imports. And the Gulf remains, including, uh, you know, uh, Iran and, and the other West Asian countries, remain a major source of oil uh, imports for India and also the natural gas, the Qatar we are talking about. So for India, instability in the region is really something which it cannot afford. Uh, but are there things which are in India's, uh, you know, hand? Uh, so far, India has balanced its relations with the GCC and with Iran, uh, you know, for a very long time. Let me come to uh, you specifically now uh, to Iran uh, as such. Uh, right now, you know, it's a difficult situation uh, for India because of the, the U.S. sanctions and uh, there are efforts, let me tell you, we have, I mean, this has been pointed out by Bijan also, that during the sanctions period also, Iran has been the very reliable partner despite the difficulties of the payment mechanism, you know, which was very much part and parcel of the, the uh, U.S. sanctions and the U.N. sanctions earlier as well. Uh, but if you see the, the Iran, uh, you know, as a, as a very constant, uh, you know, supplier of oil to India, uh, you cannot ignore the strong relationship, a very uh, practical dimension of the relationships that we have enjoyed all these years. Right now, 
the situation is that the major opportunity for India, I would say, is the Chabahar, which, uh, which John also referred to. And Chabahar is not part of the sanctions that the United, we have that uh, exemption. So Chabahar is the major opportunity for India. Right now, if you see the development on India-Iran cooperation on Chabahar, uh, there has been a slow but a very forward movement. The, uh, we have signed the agreement. The uh, Chabahar port has been operationalized. And, you know, goods are, you know, transporting uh, between uh, us using the Chabahar port as such. The Coordination Council meeting, the first Coordination Council meeting uh, has taken place. This was on October 23rd, 2018 followed uh, by the other meeting on, on December 24. And, uh, you know, in the recent visits, if we look at the number of VIP visits from both the sides, India and Iran, there has been a forward push on the diplomatic ties. So Chabahar really offers a very good opportunity. I would say, although $85 billion that India committed to uh, provide the equipments for the Chabahar, only about... $25 million is what has been, which is jointly by Indian and the Iranian companies to get the equipments there. And $150 million is the credit line, which is the latest figures I have uh, to share with you. So what I'm trying to say, while there is a shadow of the uh, US sanctions on India-Iran relations, but there is a way out, specifically when we are talking about the Chabahar as an opportunity, and the development of Chabahar is not only in India and Iran's favor, but it is in the favor of United States as well when we are looking at Afghanistan. So there has been a trilateral cooperation, which is the new dimension of the relationship that you see today uh, is Iran, India, and Afghanistan. And this is where actually, you know, this can be utilized to its best. While there are limitations for India to import oil from from Iran, but uh, you would, I'm sure you all know today is the day when the election results are being declared in India. So while I'm sitting here, uh, but uh, the, the predictions are that there's going to be continuity of Mr. Modi leading the government for the next five years as well. And if we see that, then we are also going to see the diplomatic activism in the region, which is West Asia. So uh, I do say that it is a difficult time for India. And it is also important to say that the government can only do up to a certain point. Beyond that, the private sector, which plays a very, very significant role, uh, you know, in terms of investments, in terms of, you know, uh, going to the, the, the Iranian market. Let me say that the CIA, which is, has opened, uh, you know, office in Tehran, so, and there have been a lot of business uh, delegations traveling to and fro. And there are many opportunities for both the countries to actually take the trade relationship forward. But India imports more from Iran than Iran, you know, uh, imports from India. Uh, this is one uh, place where I think both the countries have to work. And to that effect, in the last, uh, you know, uh, meeting uh, with the foreign minister of Iran, uh, the, there has been an agreement that the Iranian bank would be opened in Mumbai. Now, this, these are all very recent developments to ensure that the Iran-India relationship, you know, 
takes the momentum forward which was initiated in the last uh, three to four years. And there are many other agreements if you, if you see, I mean, I don't think I have the, 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 the time uh, to elaborate on each and every uh, economic uh, agreement that, uh, that was signed between. The trade figures are not very impressive, let me tell you. If you look at the trade post-sanctions, you know, and if you look at the trade figures, there has been an upward trend. But if you compare this with the overall, you know, uh, trade of India with the other countries, I would say the GCC countries are much ahead of, of India-Iran trade, which is about 13 uh, million dollars, which is not, uh, 13 billion, yeah, 13 billion dollars, which is not much as compared to India's you know, trade with the other uh, countries, be it China, be it, uh, you know, the Saudi Arabia and uh, UAE. UAE has emerged a very, very important trading partner for India. But uh, I think in today's context, what is, what is important for India to send a very strong message, uh, you know, to the uh, international community that the momentum which they started building up for taking the relationship forward uh, will be sustained. And within last two, three months, I would say, because the government uh, was still in the, in the uh, formation, so we would get to know the real uh, policy uh, which uh, the new government will take. But I'm, I'm very sure that despite the pressure of the United States, you know, there would be certain uh, ways, uh, the innovative ways to handle this situation. And Chabahar is definitely one very big opportunity where India is also planning to, you know, have the, for example, the fertilizer factory, which would help, uh, you know, India-Iran relationship and also, you know, uh, generate the employment which uh, Bijan was talking about. So uh, I would say there are three things which India will have to do. Uh, first is sustain the momentum which has been initiated. Uh, both in the strategic dimensions and also in the uh, economic. Uh, and the third, uh, you know, dimension is the connectivity where the Chabahar comes as an opportunity. But the challenge for India would be, uh, you know, can how much pressure of the United States is something that is really going to impact the policy decisions of the government. And I hope, uh, you know, given the, the uh, government which should come back with the full majority, they would have that authority and, you know, position to uh, balance, you know, the relationship and explain in a better way to United States, look, this is, this is the region. Geography plays a very, very important role. I don't think the, the privileges that India enjoys while importing Iran, it's about uh, 90 days of, uh, of the, the credit uh, period which is given by Iran, which is not given by the, any other you know, oil uh, import, uh, exporting countries to India. So that is one. The, the second is, I think there would be a need to develop the barter trade, but that is only possible if Iran starts importing. And there are initiatives which have been taken. We are talking about agriculture, we are talking about IT parks, we are talking about many other areas, service sector, banking. Uh, so these are some education, uh, you know, these are some of the sectors which can really help build this, uh, you know, cooperation and engagement. But I would definitely say the limitation and the challenge for India would be to balance 
uh, its relationship with the United States at one end and, you know, Iran at the other end. So far, this has worked, but I hope India is not given uh, into opposition. So far, I think after 2nd of May, India has not imported oil. And if you see the official statements, they do uh, make that we are working on certain arrangements. It could be a rupee, uh, you know, which could be exchanged for the oil. But those mechanisms are being worked out at the moment. And I think I have uh, probably uh, exhausted my time and we can come back to it during the question answer session. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mina. That raises a number of questions, which I will get back to. Jacopo, please. Um, good morning, and thank you, Rizbe, for inviting me. This is really my first uh, event of this kind since I'm a PhD, so pretty honored to be to be here. So, yeah, what I'm trying to, to give you is, uh, is an overview of senior Iranian relations from the Chinese perspective, so why China basically is interested in uh, establishing good relations with Iran. And, and then I have a look at the role of the United States, which is crucial and central, and, uh, and then have a look finally on what really matters now. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, Sino-Iranian relations are quite an established uh, pattern. Uh, I'd say that official um, diplomatic relations has been established in 1971, and they survived the, the 1979 revolution, so it's pretty impressive that uh, in like last 50 years, uh, China and Iran had quite positive relations, I would say, and there are there's a quite good partnership going on. Uh, but we have to bear in mind at least two important things. Uh, the first one is quite obvious, is that there's a, this, this relations is informed by a strong power asymmetry, which means, of course, that China is a global power, is a rising global power, while Iran is uh, a regional middle power, we can, can say that. And it's, it's not only a regional middle power, but it's at the political center of the Middle East, which is possibly the most uh, contested region in the world, we can say. And so this power asymmetry is really important to, to be bear in mind. And the second thing is that since now, um, for Beijing, the relation with Iran is really a second tier relations. Uh, and despite Xi Jinping has claimed in 2016 that his, his intention is to elevate this, this relation to a stable, comprehensive strategic partnership, so something more uh, uh, broad, uh, in my very humble opinion, this is not likely to, to happen at least soon, and I will tell you why very soon. So, yeah, um, what to say is that uh, I think that before going to the um, strategic and political and economic objectives that motivates China to cooperate with Iran, it's very interesting to point out that um, China has, a, has developed some sort of sympathy towards Iran uh, on the basis of the fact that Iran fits into the narrative of the national humiliation, the so-called national humiliation, which is part of how China projects itself towards the world. So, in Chinese point, from Chinese point of view, Iran is uh, a great non-Western civilization, rich of history, with a great past, exceptional past. Uh, they keep on claiming that Iran and China were peers along the old Silk Road. And for, but as like China, uh, China, Iran has been humiliated and kept weak by uh, the Western hegemonism. So there's this kind of point of contact between these two countries, and this has produced a 
powerful narrative, which is very interesting and important to sustain relations between China and Iran, especially uh, China claims this narrative, especially when things uh, from a more material perspective are not going so well between these two countries. So yeah, uh, of course, I find, and I suggest you, uh, I don't have time to get to that, but I suggest you to have a look at the uh, signed article that Xi Jinping published in 2016 when he visited Iran um, immediately after the implementation of the Iran deal, where there's like a longest curses on the uh, whole ancient Belt and Road, uh, sorry, the ancient Silk Road, and there's all this narrative about like uh, parity between, equality between Iran and China. And it's very interesting and powerful, also problematic to many extents. But yeah, to go to, to like more uh, material objectives, um, of course the, the topic is very broad. I, I will give you like three spheres of interest, which I think are the main, most important. Like, so of course China's primary interest in, in dealing with Iran are, uh, is economy. Uh, and by economy I mean oil, as uh, Bijan has perfectly pointed out. And the, the fact that Iran has a huge domestic market, which is uh, still to be, lot to be just a lot to be developed, and is very young country. And I mean, for example, during the Ahmadinejad presidency, when like sanctions were biting Iran, China was the only foreign actor that um, was able to skip sanction and um, saturated somehow the Iranian market with Chinese goods. And of course, like oil is, is the main is the main interest of China. Uh, you know, you'll, I think you know that uh, Iran uh, as the probably the, the largest reserve combined reserve of oil and natural gas in the world, and China since the beginning of the 1990s is a net oil importer, and since 2011 is the uh, the greatest oil importer importer in the world. So Iran is part of the Chinese uh, diversification strategy. And again, uh, here is very important to bear in mind what is uh, that the asymmetry of power existing between these two countries. And it's clear that like for China, uh, for, for Iran, China is uh, the most important and the biggest oil customer. But in the diversification strategy, um, diversification strategy of China resulted in Iran not being among the top three uh, oil um, uh, oil importer to China since at least 2012. So there's this kind of asymmetry, which is very important. Uh, again, a second uh, sphere of interest is security. And by security, I mean both domestic, uh, because China has a huge problem with uh, Muslim minorities in the Xinjiang region, and they are treating them not very well, to be honest. And uh, for this reason, they are trying to have good relations with Muslim countries in general to keep these minorities quiet or avoiding like disruption. And of course, there's like external and much more related to uh, energy security once again. So China is really interested in avoiding a disruptive conflict in the Gulf because this will really affect its provision of oil provision. And lastly, I'd say that there's a strategic or infrastructural interest. And in that sense, the Belt and Road Initiative is crucial. Iran is part of the Belt and Road Initiative, is in particular is part of the so-called China Central Asia, West Asia Economic Corridor, which is basically the route that will connect China uh, to the Middle East. So it's pretty important. And has been, Iran has been defined on one of the buckle of the belt, which is quite 
good definition, I think. But yeah, apart from that, uh, my point of view uh, is that it's really important. We cannot talk about Sino-Iranian relations without mentioning the United States. So when I talk about Sino-Iranian relations, I always say that we have to adopt the China-US-Iran prism. So this is the angle. And the reason is are, are many. Like, of course, China is competing with the United States uh, in the war stage. United States have uh, turbulent relations with Iran since 1979. And, and of course, the United States are the most important extra-regional actor in the Middle East. So for all this reason, it's really important to look at the Iranian relation through the perspective of US, China, Iran. Um, what I claim is that um, China um, is, and this is, I'll, I'll give you an example of what I'm going to say because it's a pretty tough claim. China is not interested in um, escalating, in uh, uh, adopt a more confrontational posture vis-a-vis um, Washington when it comes to safeguard its relations with Iran. This is the reason why I'm saying that it's not likely, the Sino-Iranian partnership is not likely to become a comprehensive strategic partnership soon. And there are uh, pretty interesting examples that uh, support my claim. And I'll give you two. One is from 1997. In 1997, there's been like a major halt in Sino-Iranian relations, and especially in the cooperation that China and Iran had on military and nuclear uh, sector. And this happened, the reason of this halt in cooperation between China and Iran can be easily traced back to uh, both tension between US and Iran and US and China. In fact, in 1993, the, um, the Clinton administration adopted the dual containment uh, policy, which directly uh, targeted Chinese um, uh, nuclear and military interests in Iran. And uh, also China was under great pressure from the United States for uh, uh, the aftermath of the Tiananmen uh, events and uh, because of the 1997 Taiwan uh, Strait crisis. So in that sense, uh, there was a sort of escalation um, going on and involving these three uh, countries. And what, what, what happened was that China uh, sacrifices its privileged position with, it, with Iran to de-escalate this crisis. And another good example uh, is more recent and is, uh, has to do with the South Pars uh, gas field, which is possibly the, the largest gas, gas field existing in the world, and is shared by Iran and Qatar, and uh, it has to be exploited. It's still like there, there are a lot of projects going on, and one of the major projects was um, granted to a consortium made by the French Total and the Chinese CNPC, which is the um, China National Petroleum Corporation, so a state-led uh, uh, oil corporation, basically oil and gas corporation. And but uh, uh, when Donald Trump was elected, and the the, the sort of like this, the, the idea that we was going to reimpose sanction was became pretty pretty more concrete and current. Uh, Total decided to quit the uh, involvement in uh, in South Pars. And at that point, what happened was that the CNPC. Um, they, they claimed immediately that they will replace Total and work on that, uh, on South Pars. And this was apparently a, a very interesting development in Sino-Iranian uh, energetic cooperation. 
But eventually, in the end, after sanction came in place, uh, the CNCP basically withdrew itself from South Pars, and so the project like halted. So this is, a, again, uh, another sign that uh, the U.S., the pressure from the U.S. is certainly an aspect that is crucial in understanding the development of Sino-Iranian relations, and that China is really not keen to, um, to uh, confront Washington when, or at least normally, usually, to confront Washington uh, to uh, defend its relations with Iran. So, um, yeah, what to expect now? Uh, well, uh, I think that this, this example of the South Pars uh, gas field tells you that, and I hope that uh, Bijan would agree with me, that even uh, uh, Chinese response to the uh, sanction has been quite unsatisfactory. And I think there are like several reasons why this, this, this uh, response has been unsatisfactory. And first of all, like Trump escalation towards Iran has been quite quick. If you think that we just celebrated to say that um, one year since Trump decertified the agreement in May 2018, since that we have like the reimposition of uh, secondary sanction, oil waivers, and then and two weeks ago, the uh, US uh, claimed that there will be no more waivers. So it has been a quite quick, and this is some, some, somehow collided with the infamous inefficiency of uh, Chinese business. We certainly are prone to, to sign big deals, but when they have to put them in practice, things are pretty different, and Iranians know that quite well. Um, secondly, there is the trade war. The trade war is certainly like the top priority of China's government right now. This is quite clear, quite obvious, and at least uh, since now, I would say that China avoided to, uh, the possibility of negative spillover uh, to, in the trade war contest due to uh, a more uh, assertive posture towards Iran. So the idea was to, in my opinion, to avoid that um, uh, supporting Iran will have like, bad effects on the trade war. Uh, and this resulted in a general lack of political will from the Chinese perspective to support Iran during this uh, time of doing this sanction. Uh, an example is that the bank of Kunlun, which was, uh, has always been the bank, the Chinese bank that traded with Iran during sanctions, previous uh, sanction regimes, uh, basically stopped to, to trade with Iran uh, recently. So this is a clear change in policy, and it's pretty revealing, I think. Um, of course, Chinese uh, um, companies sign multinationals, uh, which would operate in Iran, stop to do that, not to uh, get sanctioned by the US. And of course, like other markets, like U US, Europe, whatever, are more interest interesting for this company, and they're not ready to sacrifice their uh, presence in those markets for uh, doing business with Iran. And lastly, there, are, there has been, uh, and this is quite sad in my opinion, lack of coordination with other JCPOA parties. Uh, there's not been a real uh, coordinated action. And it's quite, uh, it's quite negative because like, the JCPOA was the product of a really interesting and broad consensus among the members of the 
Security Councils and the EU, so the most important powers in the world, they, they agreed on dealing with Iran and make a deal with Iran. But after that, after the US uh, withdraw, like a point of this consensus remained in place in discourse, in speeches and whatever, but in practical action, hmm, not at all, I'd say. So, uh, but, uh, and I'm going to conclude my, my, uh, my speech is, uh, things may take a different direction. There are signals. Uh, first of all, uh, as I told you, uh, as you know, and uh, there are no more, no more oil waivers. And this means that this directly affects China, um, China oil supply. Uh, and security, oil security strategy, energy security strategy. Um, of course, like uh, China can survive even without Iranian oil, arguably, but uh, China is very interested in, in oil security. It's very important for China. So this can change a little bit the pattern. Uh, hopefully, Instex will be fully operative quite soon. And if China is able, as keen to cooperate with Europe, it can be a very important instrument uh, to, to further trade and to put some relief on Iran. Um, so this can be a pretty good, pretty good thing. And by the other side, uh, in the last weeks, the level of, of confrontation in the, in the trade war between US and China has escalated. Uh, this can lead to a different posture of China towards Iran, I think. Uh, and we have pretty, I would say, contrasting seniors on that. And uh, I would say that on the 10th of, um, of May, uh, an article uh, in Reuters uh, said that Sinopec and CNPC, so the two major like uh, state-led uh, oil companies in China, uh, skipped the purchase of, Chinese, of Iranian oil for May. This is due to the waivers, so apparently the, 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 the end of the waiver. So apparently the idea was that, okay, yeah, China is not gonna buy more oil from Iran, at least officially. But one week later, and that was what Bijang was talking about, uh, there was this uh, oil tanker called Pacific Bravo, which is uh, basically operated by China that left Iran with two billions of, bar of barrels of oil. And this was the first, uh, the first time China buy oil after the end of the waivers. So this is a quite interesting signal that something is gonna may change, and um, yeah, the interesting thing is understand how far this change will go, and why uh, this thing, this change are happening. So yeah, basically that's that's it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I'm gonna ask one question to all of you to kind of keep in the back of your head, and that is of course, to what extent the political elites of these countries are unified in terms of how they view the relationship with Iran in particular, and from Iran to the other two. I mean, to what extent is there any domestic politics involved in how they view that relationship? Um, Bijan, and I'm gonna latch on to that immediately, it's my first question to you. Um, for the last 150, 200 years, Iran has, has looked westwards. And in many ways, in terms of political culture, it is very much, uh, related and focused and obsessed with Europe and of late also with the United States. To what extent is the fact that China was the number two trading partner before the first wave of sanctions in 2008 and now is the first uh, trading partner of Iran, to what extent is that going to impact or is being, if you will, synchronized with an eastward looking 
trend within the political elite. That is, is there a match there, or are the Iranians still obsessed with Europe, while actually most of their relationships and trade is continuously moving eastwards instead? I'll give you just um, Mina. Um, Chabahar, as, if you will, both an immediate business venture, but also a structural foundation for a different kind of relationship, not just with Iran, but also with Central Asia, as far as India is concerned. Uh, to what extent do you think that uh, the government in India is going to be able to safeguard Chabahar from the Americans? Because I think we have to keep in mind that while Trump has upped the ante vis-a-vis -vis Iran, the structural non-relationship between Iran and the United States has been bad and is probably going to continue to be bad. The Obama administration's second term was, a, 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 unfortunately, if you will, an anomaly. It was an exception. It was not the new rule. So the question is, how far into the future can exemption after exemption keep Chabahar uh, operational, if you will? And as part of that question would then be, is the private sector in India interested in Iran? Because as both Bijan and Jacopo mentioned, if you look at the Kunlun Bank and some of the Chinese uh, businesses, they were interested in Iran during the last uh, sanctions wave in 2008 onwards because they didn't have any business interests in the US. Now they do, and therefore Iran becomes much less attractive. Is Indian business going to go that way as well or not? And Jacopo, um, strategic relationship with Iran or not, how much of that is going to be influenced not just by the immediate trade wars with the United States, but the fact that the relationship with the United States is, is going to change. That I, I mean, arguing that there is going to be a change of Chinese-American relations, regardless of Trump, if you will. You can even put him out of the picture. Uh, to what extent is China willing to think of Iran not just as a bartering chip, a la the Russians, uh, but as something that can be built on? Or is that more talk than shop? Okay, Bijan, please. Thank you. Um, I'll, I'll say a few words about the, the domestic politics, but I think because it's important. Uh, one factor when we think of Iran and China is uh, the evolution of um, the debate about political development inside Iran. In the 1990s, the intellectuals in Iran and also part of the political elite would argue that um, economic development uh, needs democratization as a prerequisite. You cannot become an economic power if you are not a democratic structure. Then came China. And everyone looked and said, well, you can be an economic power without democratization. So that changed the intellectual and, and, and domestic debates in Iran. The other factor we have to look at is one segment of the Iranian political elite, we call them the conservatives, the hardliners, whatever you want to call them, they have always distrusted the West. And their alternative was always Russia, China, Asia, basically looking East. However, and this is important to understand, the other segment of the political elite, again, called the moderates, reformists, whatever you want to call them, their argument initially was, no, we need the Western technology. Uh, 
because that's the top technology, especially in the energy sector. We can't really develop our energy sector without European or American technology. And then later, and this is an interesting twist, when it became clear that actually the East is also developing interesting technologies, including China and India, the statement became, without having a good relationship with Europe, China and India and Russia won't take us as seriously. So they are not going to give us the type of technology that we need if we don't have the alternative, meaning Europe as an alternative. So one part of the Iranian elite has always tried to stay with Europe as the top source of technology and, and investment for Iran, whereas the other part has distrusted the West and has looked eastwards without necessarily being absolutely convinced that the East always has the solutions. Uh, the CNPC investment in South Pars, there is a history to it, Jacobo. It's not just this year. They had this project 10 years ago, and they failed to develop it. Yeah. So the Iranian conclusion was the Chinese don't have the necessary technology. Hence, they could come in as a junior partner to Total, but if they are supposed to manage it, and I've heard this statement from Iranian officials, they said, well, if it's without the West, then Iranian companies are better than Chinese companies. So the, the technological aspect is, that's why I mentioned in my expectations, it's a lot about technology. It's not just about investment or, 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 or jobs. Um, so let's, uh, looking East, um, it's important um, to, to understand the, um, I want to see, understand that um, the, the view, the perception of Iran about China has changed. I remember so well at an interview with uh, the late president of Iran, Mr. Rafsanjani, in 2005, when he was running uh, for president again. He remember he lost in 2005 to Ahmadinejad. When he was running, there was a very inter interesting interview because he was a president before between uh, 89 and 97. And the, the reporter asked him an interesting question. He said, uh, what has changed since you were president before and now that you're running for president again? He said, the most important thing that has changed is that China has become a power again. It wasn't a power before. We considered China in the 1990s a developing country. And that was sinking in. In 2005, it started sinking in into the minds of the Iranian decision makers that China is now a power. It's not just a buyer of our oil. It's a trading partner. It's a trading partner with whom we can have in the top year trade volume of Iran and China was $53 billion in 2011 or 2012. So the, the, the potential is massive. And, and the, there are obviously civilizational, historical relations. But don't forget, uh, uh, Jacobo's list was very complete. I'm not going to repeat it. Iran is not just an 83 million market. Iran is the potential hub of a 400 million citizen market in the region. And everyone knows that, Chinese companies, European companies, and so on. So it's important to understand, you look at Iran, you, you look at a, economic potential, and the big question is, where is the balance between political necessities on both sides, China and Iran, India and Iran, and the economic interests? And I think this shift has happened in Iran, um, not, not just 
in the head of Rafsanjani, I think in the meantime, everyone looks at China. And what will drive Iran a lot, and that's my last sentence, is the potential of Iranian non-crude exports to all of these markets. Because that will be the driving force of the Iranian business community in the future. That's why Iraq is so important today being the largest non-crude export market for Iran. If Iran can export more to China and to India, those markets and those partners will also become more important. One last sentence about what Mina said about um, India needs to export more to Iran. There is an opportunity here for Europe, India, and Iran. Because, in fact, India could promote the export of some of the subsidiaries of European companies in India to Iran. And I know that India would like to do that, and Iran would like to receive that European technology. So there are, I call them triangle opportunities that we need to look at. Thank you. Well, uh, one uh, just observation on the internal uh, political will uh, as far as India is concerned. Uh, you know India is a democracy and a very strong democracy. And there are uh, two schools of thought when we are talking about, uh, you know, any, uh, for example, foreign policy issue, whether it is relationship with the United States, whether it is Russia, whether it is Iran. And I think, uh, you know, there's a, there's a school of thought which feels that India has been ignoring uh, you know, or not giving sufficient attention to its relationship with, say, for example, Russia, Iran, and uh, to an extent even China. I mean, in a sense that, you know, India needs to build uh, the regional, you know, cooperation uh, much more uh, efficiently and in a much more meaningful way. That would be one school of thought. Uh, they have been pushing for a stronger ties with these uh, countries as compared to, uh, you know, its diversified approach, you know, in the, in the last uh, uh, few years, uh, where the India-US ties, or for example, quads that has been talked about uh, in terms of uh, containing or balancing the increasing Chinese influence. Uh, this is one, uh, one set of, uh, you know, people and scholars and academicians and officials, whoever you would like to say. The other approach is that in past, India has sacrificed enough. If India has been in the technology denial regime, and if it wants to develop and uh, you know, acquire technology which only Europe and United States can offer, and therefore, India needs to maintain that balance and develop equally uh, you know, uh, efficient partnership with uh, US and Europe. So this is one. Uh, but if you actually see uh, the practically, uh, you know, the practical dimension of India's uh, overall foreign policy, you know, I would say that they have adopted a middle path. In certain cases, you know, you see a very clear direction of a shift towards the United States. And reason being the diversified, you know, uh, arms purchases. Uh, you would see the promises made by the United States that they would provide uh, the energy as well, but at what cost, uh, number one. Uh, number two, you know, the distance. Uh, number three, what kind of a technology would U.S. be really offering uh, to India? That also needs to be uh, kept in mind. 
whatever it may be, but you see a clear, you know, direction of, you know, increased partnership with the West and the United States uh, at one end. The other end you see, you know, when we are looking at its policy towards the West Asian region, uh, there has been a middle path which it has adopted. Uh, number one, it has maintained the balance uh, between its policy towards Iran and Saudi Arabia and US. It has not, you know, actually got involved in the, in the crisis uh, situation, for example, the divided GCC today, because it has very strong energy ties with Qatar. Uh, it has very strong energy ties with Iran. And as I said, Iran is also, you know, uh, India's gateway to Central Asia and beyond. Uh, this is one. But I think uh, in the case of, of the, you know, vote against Iran, I do remember number of times that I've traveled to Iran, you know, the question often asked is why did India vote against Iran? And despite the best of the explanation which India has given for its own developmental reasons for technology, this should have been conveyed before voting against them. And I think situation would have been somewhat different. When you convey to your partner that these are your limitation and this is the, the line which you would as a as a as a scholar i would say that this would have been a better approach than you know surprising uh, a friendly country with uh, this kind of a thing but today uh, you your your so i think you know india is not going to ignore iran it cannot but there would be some changes in its policy towards Iran. There will have to be certain innovative methods. Uh, as I, if you look at the number of visits and the agreements that have been signed between India and Iran, there are, there are too many. And in the new direction. Uh, private sector, you said, I'll come back to Chabaha later, but private sector in India, you know, if you, even if you look at the trade figures, you know, after the sanctions were you know, removed, there's been a change. For example, trade, if you look at uh, 2017 uh, figures, you know, uh, they are 13 million. Uh, you know, this was around 13 point some in 2017-18. Uh, uh, if you look at the oil, uh, you know, uh, trade, uh, it moved in 20, after 2015, improve, uh, you know, the, the increase was from 11.20, uh, million tons to 27.14 million tons in 16-17. This is the kind of jump you, you saw in terms of oil imports also. And before, uh, you know, that period when India decided to import more uh, oil from, uh, from Iran after the sanctions uh, were, you know, that uh, waiver period, the exemption which India got, you know, we really drastically improved our oil imports and we have that in place today. So this is one. You cannot really, uh, today, the Indian private sector has very deeply, you know, sort of there in the United States. And they have major stakes in the United States. So you cannot, if uh, the choice is given to them, would you like to cut your ties with the, with the United States because of Iran? I don't think that will happen, number one. Because Reliance, if you see, they were planning to come back to, to, uh, to uh, Iran. But the moment uh, there was this news about the sanctions, they withdrew. So the efforts will have to be on part of, of India 
uh, or create a certain mechanism through which you know you can improve it. Uh, one, as I said, would be the opening of the Iranian bank to settle. Uh, you know, the uh, the Iranian oil that you would get or any other, I think this can be used. Uh, it is yet uh, to be opened in Mumbai, but this was a very recent initiative during the uh, visit of uh, uh, foreign minister to, to India. So, uh, but Chabahar is an example and it is a case of opportunity because it is not under sanctions till date. So this is where, you know, India will have to speed up uh, invest more. Uh, and you see, this is just not India-Iran. It is a triangular uh, agreement that we are looking at, Iran, India, Afghanistan. And this helps even uh, United States, if you are looking at, uh, I don't know what Mr. Trump's policies would be in Afghanistan, whether, you know, it's very unpredictable. But I don't see the US complete withdrawal from Afghanistan. And let us not forget here the, the BRI, you know, the uh, uh, Belt and the Road Initiative. It is very recently that, you know, Afghanistan has been made part of the Belt and the Road Initiative. So it's very important even for the United States to ensure that Chabahar develops into uh, an arrangement. I wouldn't say to contain China, but to, to, to an extent balance it. And let me, let me also uh, tell you, that the East Asia is very, very keen to use Chabahar. And I'm telling you that even from the Singapore, you know, people have approached me saying that the tea is already being exported. So in future, I don't see any reason why Chabahar, unless, you know, the Americans really decide and say we are going to uh, not provide any exemption for the Chabahar. But so far it has been, and I do see reason why they should not uh, be part of the, and India, uh, now with the Modi government coming to place, trying to, you know, see that how much India is honoring the sanctions at one end when it comes to the oil import, maybe the other ways can be, be uh, worked out. At the same time, they can ask the, the Americans to continue with the exemption that they have got on Shahbar. So I'm very hopeful on Shahbar, uh, especially, in, and I gave you the reasons why I am hopeful about it. Uh, there is also that, you know, regionally, if you see, you see Russia, Iran, uh, Pakistan. This is one angle which is normally being talked about. But whatever may be the case, Chabahar, I still feel, is not only in the interest of India, Iran, Afghanistan, but also when we are looking at the, the East Asian countries, you know, they, it does provide an opportunity to them. So I see every reason for India to invest more. A uh, private sector often goes for the, you know, uh, commercial uh, gains. And unless, you know, it gets the benefit from that, they will not be involved. But even in the case of Chabahar, there was, you know, things are not properly communicated by the government to the private sector. So on Chabahar, I think there is a, there is a requirement on part of India to clarify certain, you know, positions and explain it to the private sector saying this is open for your investment, this would not hurt your profits and gains. Uh, plus, of course, the, the government, uh, you know, uh, agencies have to invest much more than what they have done right now with the commitment. Uh, so this is, I hope I have answered your question. Thank you. Yeah, I, I try to be as quick as possible because I think there are a lot of questions coming from the audience. But yeah, uh, 
I agree with you, like, uh, I think that from China, there's a will of establishing a real uh, comprehensive strategic partnership with Iran. And we have a couple of evidences of this will. And I would tell you just two what I think are the most important. The first one is comes from the role that China played in the uh, JCPOA negotiation. China played a constructive role in that negotiation, participated like since 2006 when the, um, the, the E3 group uh, involved the UN Security Council and then uh, in the last part of, clearly in the last part of the negotiation that from 2013, 2015, that effectively led to the, to the uh, JCPOA. Uh, and if, if you think about uh, Chinese access to Iranian market, this is quite paradoxical because uh, China, during the sanction period, had a very great presence in the Iranian market. As Bijan said, like they moved from being the second partner to be the, f the first. So the question is why they accepted to negotiate. Well, there are security reasons. There are a lot, many reasons. One of them is that what Bijan was saying that uh, a sort of, let's say, uh, peaceful Iran in a more peaceful region means for China the possibility of getting access to 400 million of people in the Middle East, a huge market. And so this is a sign that uh, the interest of China in Iran is not contingent, but it's part of a more broad project, in that case, the Belt and Road Initiative. But it's something that China really want to uh, develop, is interested in establish a, a positive and comprehensive and long-lasting strategic relations with Iran. And, and I'm connecting to the, the other question about elites. The second evidence is that um, you know, China is, is certainly not a democracy like India. Uh, Xi Jinping came in power in 2013. And it really, in my opinion, I'm not a sinologist, but uh, in my opinion, it really changed like the Chinese projection towards the world. Um, so, like, he is basically like change the rule and is going to be president for life, more or less. And so, he is doing a real a strong imprinting to China uh, foreign policy. And the Belt and Road Initiative is certainly the landmark of this imprinting. But um, the interesting thing is that uh, uh, during Xi Jinping, since Xi Jinping is in power, China is increasing his presence and his involvement in the Middle East. And, and of course, in Iran. And it's very interesting that uh, among like uh, Xi Jinping and his circle of powers uh, acquire a lot of um, fashion, a lot of interest, uh, the, the, the work of the former ambassador to, to Iran, Wali Ming. Uh, he is, it was the ambassador in Tehran, but at the same time, he has been a great scholar, wrote a lot of uh, very in, scholarly interesting um, paper about uh, relations between China and Iran and how they could evolve, they need to, to evolve to become exactly a, a strategic partnership. So this is very important because this suggests that among elites, uh, Chinese elites, there's uh, an interest in uh, exactly what, what I was saying, in, in transforming this um, relation with Iran into something bigger, something more established. Um, Order evidence came, for example, the fact that Iran, this, this has happened since a long time, but is negotiating is uh, a major involvement uh, in the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, for example. 
and China has shown the will of including Iran. This has not happened yet, and I think this is, as again, much to do with the United States. But the thing is, to use a very, I would say, Chinese expression, it's going to be a long march, but I think that the, the, the final goal is to, to really establish a comprehensive partnership between China and Iran. Nowadays, uh, Trump is a problem. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the effort to negotiate the JCPOA seems quite um, unuseful right now, and, but it would have been like a great change in this pattern, and that's why China negotiated it. And so, but I think that right now is going to remain a second tie relations, relationship, but the will and in the future we will see something changing and things will be pretty interesting, I guess. So let's uh, open up for questions from the audience. Uh, there will be someone with a microphone. Uh, let's start there. Please state your name and ask a short and focused question, please. Stefan Karlsson. Uh, one short comment and one short question. Uh, the comment would be that you refer to the cha change that the American Chinese relationship is at present undergoing, and the, the, there is a tendency in Europe to underestimate the dimensions of that change because we just think of Trump. But there is a broad consensus in the United States on a strategic reorientation in relation to China, and my hunch would be that you are a little bit underestimating the impact that that change will have both on China's relations with Iran and India's relations with Iran, because that strategic reorientation will impact us all. And you will have noticed also that the EU relationship with China is also undergoing a certain, uh, although not as wide-ranging a change as, as the American change, it's, it's undergoing change as well. My question would be that there, uh, there have been a few references here to the regional role of Iran. Uh, and it's not exactly, Iran is not exactly a stabilizing influence. It, it wants to pro project its influence in, in, in its own region and, and, um, uh, and be a regional hegemon. That's, uh, that's, uh, uh, and to, my question would be to what extent could that complicate the Indian Iranian relationship, to what extent could that complicate the Chinese-Iranian relationship? It depends how you define the region. Uh, within the broader region, uh, Iran has two uh, strategic competitions, I would call them. One with Israel, um, and I would say both Iran and Israel have um, a complicated strategy because both of them want to be the number one power of the region. There can't be two number one powers. And if you use the game theory, it, you see the complications because if you, you, if you feel that you can't be the number one but you want to be the number one, you start planning for being the number two, and that creates a lot of tensions internally, regionally, and leads to a lot of miscalculations. And both of them have miscalculated on that, miscalculated. 
The second competition is not one that Iran wanted, but Iran so was dragged into is the competition with Saudi Arabia in terms of who is the number one power in the Islamic world. It's not, I, I want to emphasize that it's not a sectarian violence. That's the sort of superficial description that some people refer to. It's not about Shiite versus Sunni. It's about soft power in the Islamic world. The two are competing over that. Obviously, the first target region is the immediate region, but then there is a wider Islamic world. Um, and uh, I, I don't have time to go into too much detail, but I don't think Iran has been the destructive put, uh, player in there. I think the Saudis have destructed more than Iran has. Uh, but let's not get into that right now. So I, I, don't, I don't see, I'm, I'm certainly biased, so it would be good to see the, uh, what the others say. But I don't see a regional hegemon when I look at some of the things Iran has done. Uh, Iran is exporting electricity or gas almost to every single neighbor right now, even in difficult circumstances, meaning that even if there, there are shortages inside the country, they try to keep up the electricity and gas exports to the region. Uh, a regional hegemon uh, with ill intentions would have not invested so much in defeating ISIS the way Iran did in the region. Uh, so it's, I think what you stated, unfortunately, is sort of the accepted propaganda. Iran is, wants to be the regional hegemon without really looking at the detailed actions. Yes, there are competitions, but in a competition, both sides are at fault. Israel is as much at fault as, as Iran. Saudi Arabia, in my view, is more at fault in imposing that soft power uh, combination of, of, of uh, competition. So... I'm not defending Iran's regional actions. There are a lot of actions that I disagree with, but I wouldn't just describe Iran as an ill-intentioned regional hegemon. Uh, uh, let me, uh, you know, say, because my perspective will be more uh, as an unbiased researcher uh, who's been traveling to Iran, who's been looking at Iran, developments in Iran from a different perspective. For me, you know, the Iran, uh, you know, is one country uh, where the perceptions are not right. There are more misperceptions about Iran than the right perceptions, which might get, uh, you know, uh, probably communicated to the international uh, community. Uh, first reason is because uh, not many people are traveling to Iran. Uh, Second uh, is the uh, the whole debate and the narrative as it is unfolding is to to a large extent you know uh, carved out by the you know American uh, perspective uh, that is one uh, I think and this is where probably the problem lies and also to an extent by the Israeli perspective and how they you know demonize. Uh, this is not to justify, you know, things like Hamas and Hezbollah, and then these are the, 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 you know, kind of, I would say these are strategic assets for Iran because, uh, you know, how do you how do you balance your, uh, you know, uh, strategic interests uh, when you are being challenged by uh, a power like United States? Number one. Uh, why Iran is such a threat to United States? Uh, this is something which the answer I haven't got as yet. Why is United States? 
is Iran doing something against, you know, United States? Or is it for United States to protect its own interests, uh, you know, or the interest of its allies and uh, maybe uh, the interest of Israel, uh, where, you know, Israel is surrounded by a very complicated set of problems and issues. Is there a way out for, uh, for a coexistence, uh, you know, for uh, various, uh, you know, competing actors that we see in the region. Mina, but, if I may, just for the sake of time, okay. uh, just uh, in your view, is Iran problematic from India's perspective? Uh, no. From India's point of view, Iran is not uh, uh, problematic uh, when we are looking at for India-Iran relations. I, as I said, you know, there are many perceptions. It's not that you can give a straight answer that Iran, from India's point of view, India doesn't want nuclear Iran, that is very clear. But India does want Iran to have the sovereign, uh, you know, right to have the civil nuclear uh, you know, power. That is what it is. India wants Iran's energy. India wants trade with Iran. So for India, Iran is an important actor in the region, which needs to be engaged, which where the relationship needs to be. It doesn't, it doesn't have a negative image of Iran to say so. Thank you. Yeah, very quickly. Um, my idea is that, uh, yeah, uh, Iran activities in the region or the perception of these activities in the region uh, complicate the, the uh, Sino-Iranian relations for a very simple reason, because China really wants to avoid a war, especially in the Gulf. And this was clear when they participated in the negotiation of, J of the JCPOA once again. And most of all, they don't only want to avoid a war in the Gulf, but they want everything but not be dragged into a war in the Middle East. So that's why the, the Iran's, uh, let's say, activities in the region or how they are perceived by the United States and Israel and Saudi Arabia and thus contrasted, it's problematic for China. But it's not anything in principle, let's say. They're not against what they're doing in principle. It's more like a practical, let's say, a pragmatic view of the thing. Thank you. Um, Jan? You want to ask something? No? Yeah, I, I I, okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. My name is Bjorn Yede, and I'm working at this institute. And uh, thank you for such excellent perspectives, sharing th them with us. So in uh, China and in its uh, westernmost uh, region of uh, Xinjiang, um, the uh, government has put close to 1 million people, perhaps, in uh, so-called uh, re-education camps, which uh, in reality is uh, internment camps. The people have been put there, a lot of them without any uh, trial or uh, against their uh, will. And this is part of a larger cam campaign to sinicize religion, including uh, Islam, uh, in China. Uh, Iran, of course, is an Islamic republic. Uh, so far, I haven't heard any official criticism voiced against uh, China. Uh, I understand, or I think I understand the reasons for this due, due to uh, geopolitical considerations. However, what do people in Iran think about this? Are they aware of what's going on in Xinjiang? Or are there any indications that uh, this is turning into a domestic political issue in Iran, 
to put pressure on the government to, to uh, uh, criticize uh, China publicly. For the, for the interest of time, I'll pick up a couple of questions sure. and then we'll turn to the panel. Who else? Yes. Yes. Thank you very much for very interesting presentations. Uh, what I miss a bit, that is because we speak so much about trade and economy, it should be worth mentioning that um, uh, China is a member of World Trade Organization. India is, but not Iran. And um, uh, there is a common view regarding the Iranian economy that there is a lack of transparency, and not, that is not uh, least in the banking sector. And if you look at all discussions by European bankers, for example, that, that is something that they underline. Um, and also when you explain the economy of, of Iran, of course, the burden of the involvement in the wars in the region, of course, it has a certain cost in the Iranian economy as having the other actors. Um, uh, regarding the... Uh, um, I think it was an excellent presentation of how useful it is. But you could also maybe mention that China, China and Pakistan, they are so close in their investment programs and so on. So, of course, it is uh, important for India to have its own channel to Central Asia and Afghanistan. So it's uh, understandable, even, even more when you look at the Chinese-Pakistani investments. Thank you. One last question. No bidders. Okay, very good. Then we'll go back to the panel. And then World Trade Organization. Um, I have to quote uh, a former Western diplomat in Iran who very uh, intelligently observed that Iran is the least Islamic Islamic country in the world. Um, uh, not just in Islamic practice, but also in um, solidarity with Islamic communities. I would argue that the solidarities felt in Iran are more civilizational rather than religious. Uh, it doesn't mean that this news about China is not reflected in the Iranian press, but it does not become a public opinion issue where the people would, uh, would try to... Uh, put pressure on the government or on authorities to act on that. So it's definitely not something that would generate political capital. However, if you had, for example, something happen in the region because of the, as I said, civilizational relationships, um, it's a very different story. To give you an example, Iran's support for Armenia as a Christian country is much larger than for the Muslim countries in the in the Caucasus. And that shows you it's not about religion, it's about the civilizational cultural relations that exist. And as such, uh, the Muslim community in China is not a stakeholder within the Iranian context, in my view. There will be occasional comments, but it's definitely not something that, that the Iranians would pick up. It, it, there is a precedence of one... Uh, uh, campaign where Iran interfered in Bosnia-Herzegovina, in the former Yugoslavia, because of the Muslims in Bosnia-Herzegovina. That was more from a time, the post-Iran-Iraq war time, when Iran wanted to re-enter, let's say, more global politics. Again, it was not about Muslim uh, 
affinities or emotions, but it's more more a political, pragmatic uh, decision. Uh, Iran actually has been trying to become a member of the WTO, and the party who has stopped it is the United States. And whatever you say about the Iranian economy, whether it's transparency or uh, non-governmental uh, non state actors and so on, which is all true, I will give you a list of at least 10 members of WTO that are worse than Iran. So it's not about the this, this situation in the Iranian economy, but it's more a political decision by the United States not to allow Iran to become more involved in the in the global economy. So it's a, uh, you have obviously a list of uh, uh, statements about the Iranian economy. And as I said, if I if if you give me an hour, I can uh, tell you about a lot about all those deficiencies. Uh, but uh, it's the decisions on those levels, whether it's membership in the Shanghai Cooperation Organization or, or WTO, it's all because of the opposition to Iran being, a, as I said, more active and, and involved international player. On Chabahar, I think I did a lot of explanation, but uh, the point here is you, you referred to the uh, Sino Park, uh, you know, nexus. For India, this has been the major challenge. Uh, you know, often uh, when I ask the Chinese, who is your real strategic partner? Uh, the answer is very difficult for the Chinese to tell me. And uh, in some, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, conversations, I do get reference to Pakistan, but uh, there is a caveat to it that the Pakistan needs more from China than what Pakistan can offer. So this is uh, one angle, but when we are talking about Chabahar and the connectivity projects, wherever they are, you know, people often uh, say there is a competition between, you know, two projects, uh, Gwadar and Chabahar, and they have also been referenced uh, to, uh, you know, in Iran saying these are sister ports. But end of the day, uh, wherever roads are made, wherever ports are made, people are going to benefit uh, from that. Uh, you know, and Chabahar is more about Afghanistan also, let us not forget it. But it does help India because if you see the trade figures between Afghanistan and Pakistan, in the past two years, three years, if you look at it, the major trade has shifted from Pakistan, Karachi port to Chabahar and, and Bandar Abbas. There are reasons for it because the Afghans have also realized how Pakistan has used them and they continue to use them even today. So having this port, in addition to any other port that they might get access to, would benefit Afghanistan. And uh, more importantly for India, you know, it will not only provide access to uh, Central Asia, but Afghanistan, which is very, very important. If you really want to change something in Afghanistan, which is a very difficult uh, thing right now, because there are internal fissures and problems and issues. Uh, but uh, Actually, if you allow Afghanistan also to become a, a, a transit place, then the things might change in future. Uh, so that is, that's one very important point I think I'd like to. SEO was referred to it, and I think that is one platform which uh, does refer to various uh, you know, connectivity projects. And I won't be surprised after a couple of years, you know, Iran becoming a full member 
of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. And this is the only Asian organization uh, which does not have any of the uh, you know, Western uh, partners in that sense. And you have all the nuclear weapon states right there as a SEO. But I do think the BRI challenges uh, in many ways and dilutes the importance of SEO. I'll stop here. Yeah, I want to just uh, say a quick um, thing about uh, Xinjiang. And I want to read you a quote about that. Uh, which is, we respect and support China's rights to take counterterrorism and de-extremism de measures to safeguard national security, uh, which basically means that who said this thing uh, supported what China is doing in Xinjiang. This is a quote uh, that dates back to February uh, 2019 and was made by Mohammed bin Salman, so the um, hacking uh, prince of Saudi Arabia. And just to say that, it's in generally speaking, this sort of uh, all this narrative about Islamic solidarity, um, all this thing, like, are especially from a Western point of view a bit idolized sometimes, and there's a lot more to do with geopolitics, with interest, material interest, rather than like all this sort of uh, sort of ideational solidarity, I think, like that. So it's pretty interesting. But yeah, I, t I take the point of Bijan, and of course, like, yeah, the other things are all great. Don't forget that China, uh, Saudi Arabia is the country that invested a lot in Wahhabi schools in that region. Yeah, sure. Became sure Iran sure. has not invested. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I think uh, the final conclusion on that, of course, is that geopolitics trumps everything. Because if you look at Pakistan, where Shia Muslims are killed almost on a daily basis in the kind of in warfare that you have between different groups, Iran, Iran has never said a word. When it came to Chechnya, Iran didn't say a word. So when it comes to safeguarding its, its uh, neighborly relations, uh, they're willing to, to you know, look in the other direction quite, quite well. Okay, uh, with those not very happy words necessarily, um, let's thank the panel for their uh, insights and their help in helping us understand what's going on. Thank you. Find us on www.ui.sc. We are also on Facebook and on Twitter with UI Sweden. And we're also on YouTube where you can watch our seminars and interviews.